This is Lord's Day, March 22nd, 2020. I'm reading first from Genesis and then from 1 Corinthians 15, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise You again. We come to You asking that Indeed, the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We confess that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. And so we ask, dear Lord, give us a great appetite for this, your word. That I may nourish our souls this morning in the ways of eternal life into your glory. It's through the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, that we ask all these things. Amen. So first, reading from Genesis chapter 1 through to the second chapter in the seventh verse. Let's give our full attention to the reading of God's holy word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the ground. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day. And over the night, and to separate the lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and everything living, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You'll have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens. And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day of the Lord, God made the earth and the heavens. When no brush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant, the field had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Turn out of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection 
of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So far the reading of God's word. This is indeed profound material that we are reading in chapter 15. It is, as it were, an epistle inside of an epistle. It's very rich and full uh, and wonderful and profound. And the passage for us is really set off by the question in verse 35 where Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul asks this question and answers it for them. And he answers it for us in the verses that follow. What is it going to be like when we are raised from the dead? What will the place be like? What will we be like? This, of course, is something that captures the minds of us all. There is an inborn curiosity about the afterlife. When you were young, you probably asked those questions. As parents, you've heard those questions. As adults, we think about these things. We think about how the Lord will make that uh, all happen. It's interesting. It's amazing, really, as we contemplate it. Bodies, right, in the grave, decaying or decayed, in the ground or cremated. How is God going to raise those bodies? When we think about these things, and I know, of course, here for us, we do think about these things because every week, usually... We confess either, I believe in the resurrection of the body, or we look for the resurrection of the body, right, in the creeds that we confess each week together. And so when we do that, what do you mean when you say that? What's that going to be like? We confess it. What do we mean? We don't make empty professions or just do things mechanistically. We cannot do that. We should never do that. No, we mean something by it. What do you mean when you confess that? It is the testimony of God's Word. And though we may wonder how the Lord will accomplish it all, we wonder what the resurrection body will be like. And as our bodies give in to the reality of time and aging and injury and illness and this or that condition, we think about this more and more. It begins to be more and more attractive and appealing to us as we age. And the more we suffer in this earthly body, and the more we are drawn to long for our new bodies, we can't wait to get that new glorified body that knows none of the problems of this body. So whether issues with your back or sickness or even a new kind of virus, We long for our bodies that will suffer none of these things. What does that even mean? New bodies. Are they different bodies? How are they new? How are they the same? Are they merely resuscitated bodies? How does this all work? Well, these are some of the things that the Corinthians perhaps were contemplating and thinking about, and indeed even denying 
Uh, as we look in context of what they were saying and what Paul is doing, the flow of his argument. And we have to remember, right, as you think about this, as we contemplate this, uh, the Corinthians were greatly influenced by the dominant philosophy of that time, of that which had shaped and influenced that culture for ages, really. And the Platonic influences there saw the world as either good and spiritual or as evil and material, right? That was the dichotomy. And that was it. And they developed a system of getting away from the evil, as they saw it, from the physical. And the ultimate accomplishment of that was to be freed from the physical body, from the prison house of the soul, as they referred to it as. And there are indeed weird vestiges of this, not only remnants, but strong influence of this today in the thinking of our culture. Right? It's certainly true in psychology. It's dominant in science fiction and New Age spirituality. They're all full of this stuff. It was Plato, the philosopher, and then later it's been developed by others. In our passage this morning, Paul has been battling with this. And this is a good place to remember that these things are not innocuous. right? They are not indifferent. They mean something. What we think, right? our beliefs, they affect the way that we think about all things, including how we think and how we view of God and God's creation. And they also impact the way that we look at the future and the way that we think and live here and now. And we will actually appreciate God's creation and grow in our excitement about the future. Our, our future bodies, the better that we understand what they will be like. And we will grow in our understanding and excitement for God's word to us. We'll have meaning when he says things like, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And like when it says set your minds on things above. right? Understanding these things better help us to be who we are. It's another way of saying, see who you are. Now be who you are. Who are you? Who are you, dear Christian? You are one who has already possesses the down payment of the resurrection. Your redemption is not yet finished. Your salvation will be completed only on the last day when Christ, who is your life, appears and you were made like him. Glorious day indeed. The day of your earthly death is not the day of completion for your salvation. The day of your death is the time when your body goes into the ground and your soul goes to be with the Lord. But that's not yet the completion of all things. We await the day when the body and the soul come together again. As they follow Christ, the first fruits as the harvest, that great resurrection harvest. But when that happens, what will the body be like? That is the question. And that is the question in the text. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And so it's a rhetorical question, which Paul goes on in our passage to answer. Paul says that the resurrection body, well, first, it will be the same and different from the body we have now. There will be continuity and there will be discontinuity with your current body. It will be similar and dissimilar. Right? And again, look how Paul starts. Look what he says in verse 36. 
He says, you foolish person. What do you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so Paul answers the question he posed with this harsh response. And it is a harsh response, right? A few English versions translate that word by how foolish or what a foolish question. But those are not really very good translations because those remove the punch of the harshness that's very much there in the text. They soften it. But it should be harsh. It should be hard. It's intended that way from Paul. Right? The word, that what he says there is nonsensical or ignorant or ignoramus or unwise. Right? The word means to lack prudence or good judgment. Foolish or ignorant. Paul is calling them a name here. And that's okay. Paul is not being malicious in doing so. He loves these people. He's being accurate. He's being honest. You hear from the lips of Jesus, our Lord himself, saying things like, you brood of vipers. Right? In the same way, there's no malice there. It's accurate. And as we think about this, when Paul says this to them, how would this sound to the Corinthians? Right? How would they have heard this? It would have jarred them. Because the last thing they wanted to be was unwise. Paul knows the culture he is writing to, and he knows that they should not be thinking like the world. And so he arrests their attention, and he says that they are unwise when they think like the world. And he says they are being the opposite of intellectual or wise or full of knowledge. And he goes on to appeal to God's creation to give an illusion for them in verses 37 and 38. He says, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Right? So this is an illustration, even if you raised in the city and not on the farm, we know these things, right? And we all as little children learn of this strange event that takes place where you take, you put these little things into the ground or in a pot and after a time with water and light, something grows up out of the ground where you put those little things, right? They're little seeds placed in the ground. When it's time is up, up come the tomatoes or the squash or whatever it might be. Right? We may be tempted to think, oh, well, I'll just jam the whole tomato into the ground and cover it up and more, more tomatoes will grow. But you don't. You just have to put the little, little seed in. And the seed is transformed into a plant or a fruit. It's gone from seed to vegetable. Right? The seed is a tomato seed. It is of the same substance, but it is not the tomato. There is a transformation from seed to fruit or to vegetable. And Paul is saying that it's similar with your body now. You are not going to be like a ghost floating around on a cloud with a harp. Yuck. How boring a thought. Rather, your resurrection body will have real substance. Will have real substance. There is sameness and there is difference from your body now to the resurrection body. It's same, but it's different. There is continuity in the resurrection body in that it is not strictly different than the body you have now. Your soul, you see, will not go from this hurting and breaking down body that we now have and go into a different body. Right? How do we know that? 
Well, again, we know that one of the main and obvious ways that we know this is that when Christ was raised, his old body was not still there hanging around in the tomb. His soul didn't move from the body that he had had for 33 years with all of its distinct qualities and go into a completely new and different body. No, it was the same body resurrected. Not resuscitated, but transformed, glorified. There was continuity. Remember, two people could recognize Jesus. They recognized him. The the woman that came to the tomb and the disciples, they recognized Jesus. But recall, they didn't recognize him immediately. They were uncertain. Their expectations were off. Remember the women who had gone to the tomb. They thought the grave robbers had come and stolen the body of Christ. But then gloriously they realized it was Jesus there. They recognized him. Also remember at the end of the Gospel of Luke in Luke 24, there's this incident with these two uh, men on the way to Emmaus. And that event also shows us that there will be sameness and difference. Continuity and discontinuity. Jesus comes up to these two. And he talks with them over a period of time. And they are telling him about him, right? They're, t- they're telling him about Jesus. They say, don't you know? Are you the only one in the city that doesn't know what has happened? And he has to call them out. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, it says, he explains that the, all of the Bible is about him. And it comes time to eat. And when Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And this is what Paul is talking about, you see. He's saying when you sow a bare kernel, it becomes something else. Right? He says, but God gives it a body as he chose, and to each kind of seed, its own body. So the resurrection body will have continuity, sameness with the bodies we have now. But there will be a wonderful discontinuity, wonderful differentness, because this body will be transformed, glorified, new. And a new body is created for a new realm. Right? And that's what's next. We see that the resurrection body will be same and different. We also see that the resurrection body will be specially designed. Specially designed. The new body is designed for the new creation, right? The new heavens and the new earth that are to come. And it's hard for us to even grasp or imagine what this will be like. But we must understand. Paul is saying here in verse 39 when he says, for not all flesh is the same. He's drawing our attention back to Genesis chapter 1. And that's why we read that earlier. He says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. They're different. He's encouraging us to think about what God has done, what our good Creator has done. We think back to the very beginning chapter, Genesis chapter 1. God has made different types of creatures, each with their own kind of body that was designed for the realm for which they were made, you see. Again, on the second day of creation, God separates the sky and the water. And then on the corresponding day, day five, God filled those realms with birds and with fish, respectively. 
And then on the third day, God made the dry land appear out of the water. And on day six, he made the land animals, right? Realms and creatures made specifically to inhabit each unique realm. God creates and God orders, right? As he creates, it says the earth was formless and void. And God answers that formless and void, informing and filling. He is a God of order. And so it's natural that we would expect this kind of thing. These are unusual things. Uh, there are unusual things on God's great globe. But we don't see fish flying around and filling the sky. And we don't see birds making nests on the seafloor. Their bodies were created for a specific realm. There is a specific environment for which they were created. And it's the same kind of thing when he says in verses 40 and 41, for the sun and the moon and the stars, these things that we see every day. Notice in verse 42, Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Again, that beginning question that he posits, that we ask and we reflect upon, what is my resurrected body going to be like? And he tells us here, it is going to be a body specifically designed for the new earth, for glory. It is not simply an updated version of your current body. It will be much, much more than that. It will be made for heaven. If it is designed for the new glorified earth, it will not just be a better, healthier you. It will not simply be an extreme makeover. The version that you have now. Thinking of the resurrection in that way is so, so superficial and weak. The resurrection of the body is something much, much more. It is designed for the realm with which God will bless us. I remember when I was a little kid, one of my older brothers and his friends were into drag racing. And they worked on this little truck that had a very big engine in it. And in its realm, the drag strip was very effective. Very effective. But if they drove it on the street, it was awful. It stalled all the time. The tires weren't right for the regular streets. And I couldn't understand as a young boy why this was. Why does it stall? Why do you always have to keep the engine revved so high? Why was it so clunky on the street? If it's awesome, shouldn't it be awesome everywhere? But my brother taught me that the idle had to be high and the tires had to be the right ones and on and on because they had designed it for the drag strip, not the city streets. In its realm, it was great. But out of its realm, not so much. Both were made for transportation. right? The, the, the regular car and then this uh, car made for the drag strip. But you can see the difference in design and effectiveness depending on where they were made for. It's the same with our bodies. They will be transformed for the new realm of the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul shows us some of the, this connection in Romans where he speaks of the glory that is to be revealed. Right? Romans 8, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We will still be finite, even in our resurrected bodies. We will be human beings that are limited, needing to eat. We will work and laugh and enjoy life in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Our new bodies, same but new, different, created for the new realm, greater, grander. Brothers and sisters, in this time, especially of this new pestilence that is upon the world, what a wonderful thing to remember. What a wonderful promise to reflect upon, to meditate upon at this time. Whatever ailment or sickness or suffering that we endure or that we have endured for many, many, many years, whether old or new, brothers and sisters, you will be made new. You will be made new. And what it will be is something that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for you. We hope for that new age. We long for it. Part of that aching and longing that we feel is that we long to be in our new bodies. Yes, but more, we long to be with Jesus. We long to be in glory, freed from suffering and from Satan and for sin, from sin, for good. And we long for them because we have the down payment of them given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And God has sent into our hearts, assuring us of our salvation, giving us those longings for the age to come. Do you long and ache for this? How long, O oh Lord? How long until we see Jesus? How long until all of my sinning and all of my pain and all of my suffering and all of it, how long until it is all over and I am with you? Dear Christian, we long for these things. And our hearts jump within us when we think of heaven. We think of glory before the face of God. And when we think of all the things that occupy our concerns and fear and disappointments in our hearts and out in the world, they've all been going on for year after year after year. But we know this for certain. We know that the future has been, it has intruded in time. It has intruded. The future has come and intruded now in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit has been given to us so that we who live in this present age, we have a heart and a mind that is lifted up to heaven, set on things above. Of course, we have, as it were, dual citizenship. Right? We are here for a reason. We are to love our neighbor. We are to be Christ to our neighbor. We are to love the Lord. We are to seek to bring Him glory and honor and worship Him. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, our hope is not here. It is not here. The years roll on and on and on. And all the brokenness and hurt and sickness, it will come and it will come and it will come again. But praise God, our hope is not here. Our hope is beyond 
dear Christian. And we have a resurrection body promised to us that's designed for that glorious realm. And this is part of what the Holy Spirit has sent into our hearts to do, to long for that now. Verse 43. It is raised in dishonor. It is raised, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a spiritual body, there also is, if there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And we have to be careful when we read this, not to read spiritual as immaterial. That is not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that it's raised an immaterial body. No. We are to see the contrast that he is making is between the natural and the spiritual. He's not talking about physical and non-physical. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Christ was raised physically. The resurrection body is the spiritual body. What Paul is contrasting here is the soulish or natural body with the spiritual body. And a different body, one that is designed for the realm to come. And he continues in verse 45 with this amazing statement, right? That resurrection body will be the same but different. will be designed for the new realm. And then lastly, the resurrection body will be what God designed from the start for it to be. One of the mistakes that is often made when we think about glory is to think back to the garden. Right? There was that popular song, um, either a really awful song or a fun song, depending on your preference in music and the time you were raised. But back in the 60s, uh, and uh, it, the lyrics went like this. It said, we've got to get back to the garden. Right? It was, we've got to get back to the garden. That's what we need to do. But that's all wrong. We don't want to go back to the garden. We want what was designed beyond the garden. Because it's, it's wrong to think that if Adam and Eve would have just never sinned, that they would have just hung out in perpetuity in the garden and that nothing would have changed. In actuality, there was something greater prepared for Adam and for the human race. And we see that this was symbolized by the tree of life. This earth that God had made good, it was to be glorified. It was to be made even better. Adam's created and he must be obedient. Heaven must be earned. And God enters into covenant with Adam. And if Adam is obedient, right, and he earned, as per the covenant, he will bring all of those whom he represents into that new realm of glorified earth. But Adam failed. But by God's grace, Dear Christian, heaven is earned because Christ prevailed. He kept the covenants that Adam failed to keep. And at the end of redemptive history, right, what do we see? We see the reappearance in Revelation 22 of what? The tree of life. There's no going back to the garden, back to probation. It's not what we want. That probation has been kept. 
Heaven has been earned for you by Jesus if you are His. If He represents you, if you are in Him, your redemption is beyond probation, beyond the garden. Heaven is not a second garden. It is a whole new realm. It is creation greater. It is, an, it is uber creation, as it were. It's creation glorified. Notice here how Paul, as he goes on, he quotes Genesis 2, verse 7. First Corinthians 15.45 Paul quotes Genesis and he says this Thus it is written The first man Adam became a living being The last Adam became a life-giving spirit now, There are of course a number of implications we can draw from this passage Notice that he is speaking uh, This is speaking of Adam before he fell right? Before the fall Pre-fall Adam is good. He's created good. God breathes the breath of life into him. The first man, Adam, became a living being. Nefesh Hayah in Hebrew. And Paul is making the point that this first Adam, he became a sinner. The last Adam became what? A life-giving spirit. One was given life. The other gives life. Is the giver of life. But one of the main emphasis here is that Adam was made good. He was made good, a good living being. And the first Adam was to move on to something more. There was something more that Adam was designed to move on to. Again, the goal was not just to pass the probation and then just stay put in the garden. The goal was rather to keep covenants. And to earn the right to eat from the tree of life. And to bring all of creation into its graduated, glorified, eschatological existence. That is the goal, ultimately, for which God created us. And it is Jesus. He is the one who accomplished all of this on our behalf. Because Adam failed to do so. Christ is the one who came to be our probation passer. Our penalty payer. Right? Both of those are needed. And Christ accomplished both of them. And His resurrection is the testimony and the evidence that our resurrection body, our resurrected body, was the goal for mankind from the beginning. But we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory that God had intended for us. That's why we read in Romans 8 of the glory that God prepared for us. We can barely begin to imagine it. And the sufferings and the sickness of it all and all of this that we endure in this present age, they are not worthy comparing to the glory for which we were made. What did Paul say in Colossians 3? He said, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. In glory. You see, where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. Christ came and He accomplished what Adam failed to do. And so now what? Right? Philippians 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will what? Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. But the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Christ is the first fruits 
The harvest is coming. And our resurrection will be like His. It will be a body like the Lord's. Can you begin to see how and why this is important to us now in this life? Right? Christ raised 2,000 years ago. And the Spirit has been sent into our hearts. And we are being brought forth through this life to what? To the glory the new heavens and a new earth, the realm of the Spirit of the living God, that place wherein only righteousness dwells and all of creation will never again be subject to evil or suffering or sin or decay or sorrow. And if you are Christ's, you have a time appointed for you where your body will be transformed. It's when Christ, who is your life, appears. And knowing that that will happen then, it impacts our lives now, knowing that this is the goal. So you see, dear Christian, they aren't just platitudes or cliches when the Bible speaks of things like walking in the Spirit or walking in newness of life. They're speaking of the reality of who you are. I heard a child say recently to emphasize the realness of something. He said, this is for real, for real. That's who you are. Right? Raised in glory already, not yet consummated. But that's who you are, for real, for real. And the reality of who you are and what you'll certainly certainly have in the future, it causes you to live with hope brothers and sisters. It gives you hope and it gives you the big picture of this world and all of history so you can live your lives with the right perspective and for your chief end to glorify God and to enjoy enjoy Him forever. Knowing the certainty of your resurrected bodies in glory also gives you a correct view of God's creation. And it makes you see that your bodies now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And one day they will be transformed because they belong to the Lord. Dear Christian, you are part of that new creation right now. And right now, we tune our hearts to the music of the age to come. Even now. It's part of what we do for all of our lives. We partake of the means of grace And we pray, we read God's Word, and it transforms us, and it tunes our ears to hear that glorious music of the heavenly city to which we belong. And why wouldn't we do this? We were made for it. Not for this present evil age that will pass with fire. Oh, dear friends, let us lift our eyes and hearts. Let us set our minds on things above Let us look away from ourselves, away from our own sinful hearts, our own instability, our own suffering, our own confused, staggering perspective. Let's look away from ourselves and to the risen and exalted King and Lord Jesus, who is our life. May we more and more recognize and believe that we are united to Him now and forever. Amen.